0: Hello, and welcome to this very special episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Catherine Troyer, and as usual, I am joined by Tony Tresca. Hey there. But I'm so excited and delighted to have yet another interview, yay, yay. But with the one and only Danny Bethay. Danny, you are the former editor-in-chief of the We Are Horror magazine. You have been on panels and podcasts and publications, including Medium Publications, Cinespeak, Gaily Dreadful, Uppercut Crit, and so many more. And you're gonna be a featured cast member in a mental health and horror documentary, which is fantastic. Oh, thank you for joining us today. Wow. Uh, <laughs> the rattling of the
1: resume, it kind of just like, <laughs> I, it, well, thank you all truly for having me on and just like for deigning my voice to be like important enough to even feature. It's just always just very humbling um it's still kind of I don't know I have to kind of exhale sometimes because it's just like oh who me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so thank
1: you both so much Tony, Katie. It's it's really an honor.
2: It's yeah. an honor for us too to get to just sit down and talk with someone as prolific as you. Your your work is absolutely fantastic. You've written on so many number of subjects. I for and I think one of my favorite things about reading Uh, your work was just how much you own who you are within your own work itself. We were, Mm. Dr. Troyer and I were talking about that right before we got on, like how in your work you're clearly explicit within the analysis, like that you are black and queer and you are writing these things because they're important to you. And I just loved seeing that within your work. So I'm so excited to be talking to you today.
0: (laughs) And that's that's actually one of of the things that I, I want to see horror scholarships start doing more of. You know, We, I think all of us were taught at some point in school, like d- who cares about the first person? You know, no one cares about you, take you out. And while I still maintain that you don't always need a sentence that says, I argue, because you could just <laughs> have the argument, like th- there's something really wrong about that. And, and reading your work and hearing you be like, hey, burnout is real. Let me tell you how burnout led me to where I am. Or as a black woman watching this, let me tell you, what my thoughts are about Candyman and its portrayal of black women. That's just, that's what we should be doing, right? It's the correction uh, that academia needs to be taking if we're gonna go where we need to go. So I'm so excited to to get to like dive into your brain a little bit.
1: thank you it's yeah. like um it's like that scene in doctor sleep right where we were going in, Ab- in abra's you know uh, yes. filing cabinets yes and just be like ah yes hopefully you won't slam the filing cabinet shut on us when we find the juicy bits but if you do it's completely understandable no i, I won't i won't throw you, i won't throw you out like abra such a guy that,
2: that is much appreciated
1: <laughs> so, so tony you have
2: the yeah. first question we're going to kick it off pretty easy straightforward with a mm-hmm. with the question that we ask everyone who comes on here because it's a great way to lead into the larger conversation of horror so what is a horror text that you have read or watched in the last year that moved you
1: Ooh, okay so for uh a recent podcast i don't think i can speak on what it is yet <laughs> um I watched uh La Llorona um by Jairo Bustamante and it was fantastic it was a beautiful horror history text mm-hmm. like I'm a huge fan of of those so like ding it like checked the box of being like this great integration of horror and history I mean it had this ghost story element it completely kind of expanded my you know my purview and my knowledge even further so i love when um directors and scholars and people who make horror can make um things like guillermo del toro's like the devil's backbone or pan's labyrinth that explore like you know war or conflicts or gender or just all kinds of stuff like i'm a huge fan of that so um la llorona was like um a delight for this year i'm still trying to catch up from like all of the cavalcade of 2021 because there was so much stuff put uh-huh. on streaming <laughs> so mm. i'm a little overwhelmed like i've got a little post-it note like list <laughs> of stuff awesome. to catch up on so i'm working make,
2: on and they make it hard they're all on different <laughs> streaming platforms mm-hmm. that you got to get on to oh yeah so much good horror. Though. What uh, what was the historical setting of that one? I haven't seen that horror film, so I've got a new one for me to catch up on. Where was La Llorona? Where did it? What historical period did it take place at?
1: Well, um, La Llorona, the story um, recounts the atrocities that happened um, in the nineteen eighties uh, to the present. Um, in I'm trying to make sure I have my (laughs) setting absolutely positively correct. Um, Guatemala. Mm. So um, the Guatemalan uh, genocides, um, which are very deep and interesting because it was not just the United States being embroiled in this conflict. It was Latin America. It was the United States. It was like a lot of global interests that were converging on um, Guatemala for produce, for land, for resources. And obviously the most vulnerable people were the native and indigenous people of Guatemala. And it went into uh, the background of um, the trials that held a lot of these um, warlords and people who were responsible to account. And what was really beautiful about it was it also had this element where um folklore and the real world started to blur together so the ghosts quote-unquote of the atrocities right came you know came back in um first kind of spiritual form and then uh, obviously taking on a corporeal shape I'm trying not to Mm -hmm. do any spoilers yeah (laughs) much
2: appreciated But,
1: um, but obviously more and more of this um tether right to the supernatural started to slip into the narrative that really uh delved into things like colonialism and genocide and the fact that the ghosts of you know these people are not gone the people are very still much alive and still fighting you know for uh, recognition for autonomy for land for resources for just being acknowledged as people and not being erased so yeah, fantastic, fantastic film. Sounds amazing.
2: Yeah. Those that that does, that does sound really cool. I love all of the different issues that it taps into. I think that leads us into it our does. next question.
0: Which I always feel bad asking because I'm always afraid that like people are gonna be like, Are you keeping like a dossier on me? But like <laughs> what but what scares you in real life? And 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 then the more important, like the relevant part is and how do these fears play into the horror text that you tend to write about?
1: Mm. You know, I, I pondered this question. Um, on a soft note, I despise spiders. So I am an arachnophobic, like an arachnophobe to my core. So fake spiders, real spiders, doesn't matter. Um, you know, I kind of loathe, I love and I hate the year I was born. I was born in 1990 and arachnophobia <laughs> had to come out the year I was born. <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies to hate watch. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> I completely
0: <laughs> feel you. I don't, I don't hate spiders as much as I hate scorpions, which are also arachnids. So, mm-hmm. um, cause I, I lived in Arizona and it was like, they were everywhere, like mm. in my trapper keeper and I took it to school and it crawled out of my desk <gasps> anyway yeah. so oh my gosh I, I oh my. and that was like one of the gentler stories so I'm I'm 100 with you that like things that have too many legs and things that have no legs are, are off I was, the list. <laughs> I was about to
2: throw in uh if you throw in snakes in here scorpion spiders and snakes are my three <laughs> big ones that I could not do so I am with you not a fan of the spiders
0: mm-hmm. so Why there's your know? soft core one what's what's your like deep deep one.
1: Oh well you know if we're talking about you know for ge- getting back on a serious note um <laughs> <laughs> what scares me horror wise is just what humanity is capable of is that dark like evil side of what humanity is capable of so like whenever you know we have kind of our our hardcore horror films mm-hmm. that explore you know um our slashers right we love our slashers but at the same time we know that like oh shoot like in real life there were like slashers who were like killing people or killing children or killing women or you know targeting queer people or you know knowing that that is real right so I mean that's the horror stuff that like keeps me up at night or and also Gosh darn it. I'm one of those people who's just like, you know, I'll I'll watch this documentary or this pot or listen to this podcast about XYZ horrific event because it's just it's just like it's still mind blowing that like that's our reality or that's a reality, the timeline that we're on, that we Mm -hmm. exist on that continuum of like really horrific stuff that actually exists and happened to people and it's just I don't know. That's that's the kind of horror stuff that it's just like I love and I loathe. So it's just yeah. like it's 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 I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe. We're really interesting human beings. How you know horror movies can be a comfort watch because there's sometimes a little bit of obviously a little bit of distance you mm-hmm. can put between yourself and the movie. You know it's not real. So that's why I can usually watch a horror movie like no problem because, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not real. It's fake. It's like fake blood. It's, you know, a fake chainsaw. It's like, a you know what I mean? It's a fake mm-hmm. slasher, you know, it's not a real, yeah. you know, Michael Myers or whatever, or since people are talking about Texas chainsaw massacre, <laughs> you know, like leather face running around, you know, so, you know, I, I guess there's that element too. So. Hmm. That's yeah, a very I, good question. I think that makes perfect sense,
0: though, it, and it's why you know I will continue to advocate for including the genre in, in the classroom because because it allows us to to take a deeper look into humanity Mm -hmm. through a lens that's sometimes more accessible right because people can be like Mm -hmm. oh that would never happen and then I'm like but wait let me tell you the (laughs) story upon which this was founded and then you know there's always Mm -hmm. like every time I read from uh Layla Taylor's Darkly and her Mm -hmm. section on um Ruthie McCoy every time I read that aloud which I do every time I show Candyman which I show on almost every class uh, I get chills, right? I still get mm-hmm. cheers and mm-hmm. chills and I still have to like pause so that I don't start crying because it's like this, right? Like we can watch this movie and be like, oh, but that wasn't scary, but it is scary in a fundamental way. So I think that's a fantastic yeah. answer.
1: Yeah, and uh, dually so is like when you watch films and you know, let's say like we were talking about films that have a historical context oh. to them. Mm-hmm. So, like watching Candyman, you can't, like if you know, you can't unknow, right? Yeah. So when you're watching the film, if things are either wrong or absent or missing or just, you know, those are things you pick up on and you're just, it can sometimes kind of take you out of it a little bit if mm-hmm. there's a really deep kind of historical or social component to it mm-hmm. um, that you obviously would be like, bang, that's not right. Or bang, you know, <laughs> why would you include Ruthie McCoy but like not like he, like you mentioned why yeah. would you not explore like the horror that black women are going through as well and just kind of sidelining them you know yeah. that's a gr- that's a great example Dr. Troya. that's a great example it, it's, it's Katie was... it's
0: 100% Tony's still trying to call me Katie <laughs> it's Katie <laughs> Oh, <laughs> like, okay Katie. no I just I just like Tony said it and I was like Tony no you know better <laughs> but it's, it's a hard <laughs> habit to break <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so, Tony, I believe you have another yes. question. <laughs> cu-
2: we're curious, how did you get into writing about genre filmmaking and horror as a journalist, a cultural commentator, and just a scholar in general?
1: Mm, that is a fantastic question. So I would probably have to scroll maybe all the way back down yes. and take a trip down memory lane on my Medium page to yes. see when I started <laughs> kind of writing what I wanted to write after I got out of um, graduate school. But I think one of the first pieces I wrote explored um, uh, Blackness as other or Blackness as alien. Um, The piece in particular um, delved into how there are so many different, like body snatching narratives that I had picked up on in my youth where... You know, they would, you know, easily try to blend into, you know, white society or jump into a a white body or um, easily don the cloak of like whiteness. And that being, you know, kind of just a, a through line in a lot of films mm. I found. And I was just thinking about like, well, that's there's something very deep and kind of insidious about that, that like, yeah. um that black people are disposable, absent, erased, not even worthy of being assimilated into by the alien or that the fact that the alien is actually very intelligent by knowing that like, hmm, black people are a target or native people are a target. Or it like The Thing was another example that I was Mm -hmm. thinking about kind of intensely. Um, Another film, right, The Thing, uh, your different pod people, you know, mm-hmm. genre movies. I know there's been like a plethora of, um, golly, what are those pod people? What are the, what are the pod people
0: movies? Um, oh, I mean, uh, I feel like you named uh, the big ones. So now invasion. I can't remember. Uh, it invasion
2: was Invasion of, of, the of the Body Snatchers. Yes. yes.
1: <laughs> I literally just said, thank you. Thank you both. Um, <laughs> it, it That was like one of the first pieces I explored where I was just like, huh, that's interesting. And it really that was like probably the seed that, you know, I'd always been thinking about horror in like these really layered ways, but that was an example where I could kind of write it out and kind of um, dissect a lot of my thoughts about, you know, horror and it's, you know, missteps or lack of inclusion in certain areas. And then like where that, know kind of narrative can be flipped on its head so like in the piece later on i wrote about let's say like the skeleton key that Mm -hmm. had like a big rug pull for the audience that um obviously showed the horror from like a white point of view where black people said you know what you know we need to assimilate not necessarily assimilate we need to don the cloak of whiteness ourselves so that we can get out of this situation alive that actually like you know went into voodoo and spirituality and body swapping and did all of this really interesting stuff and showed that that genre can be used in a very different way for black people to survive or to escape or Mm -hmm. uh, for freedom it was just like you know I was just thinking about different you know films that start to flip a lot of our kind of narrative conventions on their head or like Mm -hmm. are really playing with like gender or you know trying to like excise masculinity um in some really interesting ways so like I think that was one of the first that was the I don't know the catalyst for what was to come as far as my writing is concerned and it it's just kind of snowballed from here and it's been like no stone left unturned like if you're a horror movie or a genre or <laughs> or even something that doesn't have a name yet like I think you all have read some of my pieces where I try to put a name or, mm-hmm. <laughs> or put a pin in something that you know we know exists but haven't you know kind of put in our filing in our horror filing system yet so <laughs> yes. yeah so totally that what did you go to grad school for if I can ask um, So I went to grad school for environmental policy and cool. gender, women and sexuality studies.
0: OK, so that's, that's very cool. So, so that's, that's very, very diverse. Cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I met some incredibly diverse people throughout the course of my studies. Like what I loved about my program um, is that it gave me a lot of exposure to a lot of different classes. So it yeah. gave me. Options to take classes like in social work. It gave me mm-hmm. options to take, you know, classes in healthcare. It gave me options to take classes in like environmental um, studies, ethics, policy, um, like international, you know, relations and stuff like that. Like I had some like fantastic teachers who were not from the United States. So obviously mm-hmm. you get an even broader like lens of, you know, the world that's going on with you uh, around you. Um, I had some fellow students who were um, working on getting like their, their doula certification. Like, so like being in a, in those dual programs really just, you know, exposed me even more to kind of like a broader world that, you know, when I really started writing, it really just kind of put the heat under me to make sure that every time like I write I always keep in the back of my mind like who's not included right who's not Mm -hmm. being written about who matters who's whose story needs to be told who you know um you know who have we like yet to kind of uplift? Mm-hmm. You know, in in the genre and everything else. So, yeah, that was you know as much as I, uh, <laughs> you know, literally kind of got wrecked <laughs> from graduate school because I did school straight through like no breaks and that was a mistake. <sighs> that was a mistake. So, but at the same time, I kind of have no regrets because like that kind of chapter is closed and I was able to. <laughs> turn the page and start writing a new one, so.
2: And both of those degrees seem like really interesting lenses to then yeah. bring into mm-hmm. horror studies mm-hmm. more, or genre studies more broadly because uh, environmental issues, uh, gender issues are two very popular things in modern horror now- yeah. nowadays to discuss and unpack. Mm-hmm. So it's very in- very interesting that those two previous programs then now got you to hear it in some tangible way, I guess.
0: And what yeah. made you decide to start like writing stuff that other people would see, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that hurdle of, of getting started is, is exceptionally difficult. And I think about, you know, I write, but I write in part because I feel like it's for my job, right. Or for my role in the university. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what made you say, you know, like, I'm doing it and I'm going to, I'm going to be an independent scholar in many respects, which can be a really hard path to, to navigate.
1: Um, well, honestly, you know, kind of as mentioned after graduate school, I really just kind of wanted to start to write what I wanted to write. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so I wanted to write like outside of the university for once. I wanted to start to write outside of that framework, but use some of those same really good detective skill type um, foundations to really unpack all of these different things. Like as I, as I mentioned previously, but honestly, I just kind of went at it alone. I just kind of did my research and found like, well, what's a good platform that I don't have to necessarily sink a whole bunch of money into. (laughs) Um, and medium was kind of it at the time and kind of still is, I think it's pretty accessible, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I didn't want to kind of have a space that was really kind of gatekept or anything. I wanted it to be accessible. Um, and then after that, like, I kind of got picked up by a few publications here and there. Um, something Ghoulish, uh, which became Ghoulish Media, which is now no more. Mm. Um, rely on Horror Gaming. Um, I, you know, um, got an opportunity to write with them for uh, for a good while. And really, it was just... Maybe just being sometimes at the right place at the right time and getting an opportunity to really kind of flex your skills, write, have editors to kind of critique and kind of, you know, tool and retool, you know, what you write or um, just having the opportunity to really um, kind of get your hands messy, I guess, get your hands dirty and like really work on crafting your voice and your style Um, and I think that's, that's key that a lot of people really just kind of work at it, you know, that eventually you'll get into a place where you have a rhythm and you have, um, I don't know, you just kind of have your, your flow, whatever that is like down pat. Um, but eventually somehow my work just really started to get eyes on it, like through Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, like, one of my biggest kind of boosters was, um, was Ashley Blackwell, like, I probably will say probably until the point that I'm senile, that like, Ashley Blackwell was like, one of the first people who, because she is such a, like, uh like, person, <laughs> like, in, in the horror space, um, yeah. in the horror and academia, you know, space, and it was just surreal, like, I never would have thought, like, after seeing the documentary Horror Noir, mm-hmm. that really was just like, oh, I need to keep at this. Like, I need to keep writing, like, keep going, because, mm-hmm. you know, I just, you know, just something about it would just like, really lit a fire under me because I was like, finally, this documentary is being made. Mm-hmm. It's finally, you know, happening. And I know, I know that behind the scenes just... And they've even actually have had some talk with some people who helped make it um, that, you know, it would not have been greenlit if if Get Out wasn't a success. Mm. So literally, like if Get Out did not perform well, that and noir would have like just been shelved, not been picked up by Shutter, like just kind of not thought to be important enough mm-hmm. to yeah. display to the masses and now that horror noir exists is talk everybody yeah. talks about it like you yeah. can't not talk about horror as as it exists right without talking about horror yeah. noir and all the people who help make the genre and you know blood sweat and tears into yeah. it you know i think that's why i'm such a big
0: fan of public humanities is because the thing that's so delightful about the stuff that you're writing and about horror um, is that they're, they're timely in a way that the normal academic publications mm-hmm. can't be, you know, like mm-hmm. normal academic publications are like, okay, in a couple of months this film's coming out, so uh, we'll have a book done in seven years, <laughs> you know, and you're like <laughs> and you're yeah. like, okay, well, that, that's a thing, but you're like, hey this thing is happening today, I'm writing about it today, but it's still, like you said, has that detective element to it which, uh, and I had a quick
2: question. I was like in so much coming out today. How do you decide which texts you are going to write something about versus which texts you maybe are like just enjoy or uh, maybe not enjoy as much but and then not write about?
1: Um sometimes it depends on like honestly like I think any writer their mood, their headspace. <laughs> yeah. Um I try not to jump on the like, Ooh, what's hot train. Everybody's mm-hmm. writing about, you know, XYZ movie because it just came out. Mm-hmm. Like I'm some, I'm like a good school of mind, school of thought. What works for me a lot of times is to let a movie or a subject matter breathe and then wait. Mm-hmm. Um, but then sometimes I watch some things that are like timely and urgent So like, um, I wrote about Lovecraft Country like as it was happening. And there were some things that were in that show that I was like, this is timely and urgent and I need to write about it now. I need to like get eyes on this now. Uh Um, And some of those things were um, the murder and erasure of native and indigenous, like two spirit, like people, Uh um, the homophobia that was in it, like Uh the really problematic aspects of like colorism, um, barrier gaze that happened in it like there was some I mean as much as uh, as I wrote throughout the tenure of it's very short lived first season that for all of the highs there are also lows and it's okay yeah. it is absolutely perfectly okay to critique the show and like have it you know on a scale of like good yeah. and bad like it is a-okay it's okay like to talk this stuff out it's a-okay Um, and then the same thing with like Candyman when it came out, because I had just been waiting on it. Uh, it was Mm -hmm. the only film I went to go see like in the theater. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, you know what? Double mask. Let's get our (laughs) N95 on. Let's pick a day when I know no one is at the theater. Um, and actually, ironically enough, there were a few people in the theater, but when I looked around now, this was very interesting. It was mainly, um, like black Latino Mm -hmm. um people in the audience so I was just like okay this is interesting um um, it might have just been the time of day could have just been by happenstance but the point was I was like okay good people want to see this yeah um but then sometimes I just write about stuff for like for giggles and like fun (laughs) and like to kind of give a window into my world of nerdy stuff that I'm into so um the listeners can't see it but like behind me you probably see some of my um I'm pointing in a weird way um (laughs) some of my um shoes from like the alien films like I'm still trying to get the high top Ripley um shoes from the second film so that's cool they are currently two thousand dollars nope whoa (laughs) and i do do not have two thousand (laughs) dollars that's a lot yeah Um, that's a
2: that's a real life horror story right there oh my gosh tell me
1: about it So even the fact that when the shoes first came out, speaking of horror, right, when the shoes first came out, they did not have them in, quote unquote, smaller women's sizes, a.k.a. <laughs> you would think that like, wait a minute. A they're for Ripley. Yeah, right. <laughs> so they so they got flack for that when they first came out years gosh. ago. And then they're like, whoops, let's scramble and make a few smaller sizes oh because th- because the Internet exists and people flamed Reebok <laughs> badly for it. Good um yeah (laughs) but yeah like sometimes I just like depends on my mood depends on like what strikes me um movies that I'm just like wow this is gonna be a movie that like lasts until like the end of time and it's one of gonna be one of those that was like a pop cultural like game changer like we kind of alluded to like Dr. Sleep like Mm -hmm. there was so much about Dr. Sleep that was is one of the also was one of the last films I was able to see before the pandemic so um, yeah, like there's a lot of um films that I'm just like, you know what, let's write about it. let's see what I can um explore in it that maybe someone has not written about before yeah or or take it from an angle that is like the path like less trodden about yeah. it, so I try to do that because I really sometimes don't like reading horror pieces that's just like somebody else wrote what somebody else wrote and it's like a a copy and paste Uh Mm -hmm. thing between some horror (laughs) publications and that's sometimes unescapable but I love when people are just like I'm gonna write about this movie but I'm also gonna write about let's say me as a disabled person Mm -hmm. this is how this character shows up for me or Mm -hmm. me as a pregnant woman this is how I don't know um inside the French you know horror film like operates for me or (laughs) like I mentioned let's say um, I don't know La Llorona with like Yaro Bustamante Bustamante. like how does this movie show up for me like as a Latin American person you know what I mean so like taking elements of a lot of the horror films that we watch and then just really kind of delving into those unexplored you know avenues because for so long you know I didn't really know until obviously the advent of the internet like who was really writing about horror who was really Mm -hmm. doing the analysis quote unquote who were the people who were put on or put in front of the camera or were considered like the experts Mm -hmm. and it was just really like oh so it's like this everywhere okay got you it's not just academia. It's not just like on the news. It's not just in the gaming spaces. It's not just in the nerd circles. I'm like, okay, this is a, this is everywhere. (laughs) So I was like, huh? Okay, we got to change this.
0: And I, I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about your writing is that you're advocating for change, but you're also enjoying it. I think that Mm -hmm. it's, that's a hard line, right? Like, I think for a lot of people, they're like, you know, it's that, that throwing the baby out with bathwater, which actually leads to the next question. uh, Mm. That was like a four pronged question. Mm. I realized Mm. as I was writing, I was like, this is an intense thing. Uh, But, you know, a lot of horror has been and continues to be about the destruction and uh, of the lives and and bodies of people with disenfranchised and marginalized identities. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are just like, let's just throw it out. Right. And get rid of it. Um, But I think all three of us agree that that's, that is like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And so this leads to like a series of sub questions that you can tackle however you want, but just like, why horror? And and what is it about horror that appeals to you that makes you passionate enough to write about it again and again? And and maybe tied into that is the question of like, what should horror be or what can it be that affects the way that you think and write about the genre? Mm, um,
1: I know horror was one of those, genres that i always grew up with so my (laughs) my parents actually like got me into horror movies um between them not really restricting per se what we watched but um just the fact it was very accessible back then like accessible but also if you really wanted to see some things you had to seek it out right Mm -hmm. so you had to go to your blockbuster you had to go (laughs) to your rent-a-video stores you Mm -hmm. had to go to the library and do your do your legwork to try and find it or let's say if it came on tv you had to get to the tv guide (laughs) keep flipping you know until you until you could find it or you had to stay on top of your um You know, your monster vision when it came on TNT or like your Turner (laughs) classic movies, Halloween month. And, Uh um, you know, we had so much really um, great stuff, depending on when you were born. And um, but horror was one of the first genres that I really got into because I saw how much love was poured into the storytelling, uh, the special effects, the makeup like Um, that was actually one of my first, like, loves that really just, like, cemented for me that, like, horror is kind of this space that will never run out of steam or ideas because there will always be creative people, artistic people, um, people who love costuming, just, like, the art of kind of exploring the unexplored, um, so, like special effects and makeup and everything else was like one of my very like first mm-hmm. like loves in the genre. So, obviously, you know your Universal horror films, um, what they were able to do, like it just still kind of blows my mind watching or rewatching and rewatching and rewatching, <laughs> um, quote unquote, <laughs> some of the classics or some of the, you know, the black and whites or, um, and just seeing what they were, you know, kind of what they were capable of. It's Mm -hmm. just still like, well, if they had those same thoughts back then, then obviously it just makes me think of maybe just thinking about horror as like this long kind of space-time continuum that people have always been writing about, you know, horror. People have always been thinking about it. It's just only like within obviously the past couple hundred years that we're able to like film, you know, Mm -hmm. or in celluloid format, like document, you know, what people are trying to um, express or, um, I don't know, kind of delve into um, in a visual format as far as horror, because obviously before we had, you know, radio dramas, you know, or we had, you know, books like the Penny Dreadfuls and, you know, Gothic literature and so on and so forth. So, horror is just I don't know it's just one of those genres that's just so good it's just so good like I can't like I can't say that enough like for people who um are kind of casual watchers I think um it would be great to really um get more people into and what's really great is in the past couple of decades you all will probably agree with me that horror has like exploded as far as like Mm -hmm. popularity (laughs) and um inclusivity and like the genres just opening up more and more and more and it's just been really beautiful to see so not just like horror movies but like horror video games and like yeah it's just really cool to see you know so many things that for us once upon a time were very niche very nerdy very out there quote-unquote weird like now it's just like I don't know ordinary <laughs> it's not extraordinary anymore it's very just like oh okay all right cool yeah and it's
2: it's interesting to think how quickly that's changed because mm-hmm. and is still changing because like We were talking about recently on the podcast all of the controversy around the Scream films, which were coming out Mm. in the 90s and early 2000s. And there were cases in which they were like, you guys are actively responsible for uh, creating a bad sense within the community, riling up these horrors. You're doing this. But I feel like maybe... Do you, I feel maybe those conversations are slightly shifting. Do you see that as well? Or is something else happening within the horror genre and conversation and the way we talk about horror?
1: Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right, Tony. Like, it's it's constantly shifting because more and more space is not only just being allotted. I'm not even going to just talk about it as an allotment, but people are just through the advent of social media more than ever before, people who at one time the, the door was closed on what they had to say. Now like that door is being like kicked open. And it's really mm-hmm. awesome to see people who, you know, once upon a time, like you said, like had no voice or had no say about um even just crafting, let's say like women characters, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or the problematic uh elements of you know some of the slashers that are like super hyper masculine and violent um or even just exploring like sometimes the necessity or even people who want to make that kind of stuff because it's excising like some demons mm-hmm. you know for that writer or that director or, or um you know it's just really interesting like as you said tony like it's 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 still we have to admit yeah like it's still being gatekept in some ways but like mm-hmm. there's no filter anymore like there's no i don't know it seems like now everybody's able to like drag a seat up to the table mm-hmm. like where before there's you know it was just like well sorry no more seats and you're like no 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 i'm bringing a chair or I'm just, I'm just going to stand here until, you, you know, you, you pay attention to me or to us, you know? Yeah. I can, I
0: can like actually picture in my mind that they're like, sorry, there's no more chairs. And then someone like has one of those <laughs> chairs that unfolds and they're like, don't worry. I brought yeah. It right <laughs> <out.">
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because
0: that's, I mean, a lot of, like, the the self-publishing where mm-hmm. a lot of really interesting horror is coming from and a lot of the stuff that people are doing that's they're putting out there through Kindle Unlimited and some of those options, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's bringing people to the table that wouldn't ever get to have their voice be heard before. And, and yeah.
2: social media also is ampl- just allowing, I mean, you talked about it specifically within your own career, was able to help amplify your voice to a larger thing. And I know the same mm-hmm. thing's happening on, like, other platform like TikTok, and just yeah. talking about different types of horror than maybe we used to focus on exclusively before.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: Well, we had one question that was in between that I think you've answered, which is, is the, the theoretical and critical examination. So, um, I I think we just like, what's next from the one and only Danny, like what should people be keeping their eyes out? Maybe you'd be willing. I don't know how much you can talk about, about the mental health and horror documentary. I'd love to know a little bit more about that. If you can talk about it, I know lots of projects are at various stages of openness.
1: Yeah. So, um, I can't talk about it yet because I've still, I've still yet to film. There are, there are a lot of um, interviews and they really want to make sure that they get everything really clean, very tight. Like they want to make sure that people have plenty of time to say what they want to say. So actually I will be recording that this month. Um, I will be recording my segment for, Uh. or I don't know how they're going to, I know obviously a documentary, it's going to be, kind of chopped up and I'll be yeah. here, there and a little yeah. everywhere throughout so I'm just kind of excited to see how it's all going to come together but um yeah just seeing that in our lifetime like you mentioned the fact that a mental health and horror documentary yeah. is even happening like like mental health has been just this kind of inextricable part of the genre itself like I mentioned like horror is the space where you know, you know, I think, you know, where obviously the mainstream kind of gets horror wrong is that there are, are people who are making some absolutely beautiful and brilliant, you know, um social commentary, political stuff, um, completely like just smashing, you know, <laughs> you know, a lot of like gender norms are really kind of unpacking a lot of societal stuff that, you know, um, it's still like a day late and like a dollar short in so many different ways um, Mm -hmm. that the horror space is constantly just like welcoming so many people like in um, that it's, um, it's always been this way, but a lot of people just didn't, didn't know or weren't aware and I'm glad that more projects like this are are coming out like all the time, or people are um expressing it more and more um and even with the um gosh, I hate to say this, everybody's always just like they'll say the e word <laughs> el- the quote unquote elevated horror films mm-hmm. aka the ones that you know get the prestige and certain lofty awards and stuff like people who make a lot of these movies they don't do it for the awards they Mm -hmm. they they do it for the community or sometimes they even do it for themselves slash the community right Mm -hmm. like sometimes like these projects are like a labor of love like intense intense like love um or an opportunity to you know excise some demons or some you know painful things in their past or um, you know, things like that. But um, you mentioned um what's next. So yeah. this year, um, this is obviously women's uh history month. So um I'm gonna try and see what I will come up with um regarding two of my faves in uh women's horror history, Ellen Ripley and Sarah Connor so I did write one piece like when um the quote-unquote door closed on the Terminator franchise mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but like they were two of my absolute favorites <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> who like in a sense I, I don't know um people who grew up with seeing these characters will probably get what I mean but like it felt like they helped raise me in a lot of ways they gave me different perspectives on on like the world on survival um on like being strong and what kind of strength that there can be what kind of like empathy there can be um of mental health you know speaking of mental health like they were two of like some of the first characters that i saw like go through it yeah. as far as like yeah. in their films yes. and like in some really interesting ways um and you know it was just like yeah so i can't i can't wait to try and see if i can i can, if i can delve into that um oh, I, that'll be I, so I, neat i plan <laughs> on this i'm sorry tony go ahead
2: I just, I was going to say, I'm very excited to read that piece (laughs) when it comes out later this month.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Later this year, I'm probably going to tackle some more video game pieces. It's been a while since, um, I think the very last video game piece I did was for Uppercut Crit last year about um, The Last of Us Part 2 and Mm. the, whoo. Uh, the the Mm. way the narrative um really did not treat black characters Mm. with care like at all um and I finally kind of picked up on where the games always seemed to fall short for me or something that was missing or what is also making me really nervous about this last of us um eight you know series that's coming to HBO i'm like mm. i've tried to like tune out every single thing like i've heard about production or what's happening or the story because it it was it's like i don't know um i don't know maybe i've attached a little bit of a tra- of trauma to it maybe a little bit um I don't know. I'm just I'm just really nervous because I'm like, I, I'm, I'm probably not going to watch it because I know that like, that uh, I don't think black people are going to survive in it. And yeah. I don't. I, I've seen that already. I've seen it in the video yeah. games. I don't think I need to watch that again. So but yeah. the video games that I plan on probably delving into, speaking of alien, um, alien isolation. Um, Soma. Uh, We Happy Few and like maybe that alien isolation piece, I think I was going to juxtapose maybe with like Bioshock, like Infinite or something. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Yeah, I think that's going to be interesting. Um, The juxtaposition of the setting of both games, like one being uh, or both of them being a, a future, right? One a lofty future like in... The stars, another one, like being a lofty future, like in the clouds. And then uh, Selma being like a not so lofty future, like at the (laughs) bottom of the ocean. Um, Right, right. But obviously the darkness, if you all have played these games or heard anything about them, um, is that there's a very dark, horrific component to every story that, you know, obviously is like glittering and pretty on the surface. But like once you start playing that game, you're just like, oh, okay, so... (laughs) no (laughs) it's this is not yeah not um yeah bioshock great example um i've got some more horror movies to catch up on so i'll see if um something really really intrigues me out of those i've just i don't know i've just got a lot a lot like on my plate so (laughs) yeah i mean
0: the the good news is is there's not a, a short amount or small amount of things for you to look at it's not like you're gonna run out of materials yeah. uh, it's just more like time and you know how fast can your fingers move across the keyboard
1: <laughs> yeah totally it's a, it's an out-of-body experience um yeah. i don't know if i think i've written about that before but i don't know like talking danny mode is like com- kind of completely different than like writing danny mode like you get in a completely different kind of headspace mm-hmm. Um, people who write a lot, um, know what I'm talking about. There's Um, a a scholar whose name is
0: Mahai, which I can never mm. spell correctly, but it's just more, more consonants and, and not vowels than you think a name should have. But he talks about this idea of flow, right? And he said, and that's Mm -hmm. what it is, right? That moment where you realize that like, you don't even remember typing anymore. You've kind of lost track of, of whether or not your body is hot or cold. And he, he has... Suggested very emphatically that mm-hmm. that is what separates people who are happy from those who aren't. Right? That it's not at past a certain threshold mm-hmm. IQ or uh, money. That it is. It is the more you engage with flow, and every time, every time I read that, I'm just reminded of how true it is. Right? Because there's something yeah. like magical about mm-hmm. that moment of, of writing and 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 all of it. Right? The, the figuring yeah. out the words, <laughs> editing the words. There's just something mm-hmm. really.
1: It's flow, right? It's, it's yeah. outstanding. Yeah, absolutely. Well,
0: thank you so so much, Danny. To to those of you listening, uh, you can read the Danny's full like list of accomplishments and excitements, um, as well as how to get a hold of Danny on uh, social media. You can read that in the description below. And you should. I I follow you, uh, and it's I'm like, it's very encouraging sometimes discouraging because you're like, I have another piece, and I'm like. I stared at a wall today, but, but it, it always means that, like, no. but I feel like every time, you know, it just, it reminds me that, that I can like have pockets. Like I don't have to like have some huge intense project. Mm-hmm. I can have these moments of, of yeah. depth, uh, which is one of the reasons I like talking with Tony, but thank you so much, Danny to the listeners. Thank you for listening to our nightmares
2: and have a spectacular day.